Welcome to episode 11 of the Shoeless Goat Podcast, where Cubs, White Sox, and MLB podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Nick, and if you couldn't tell by the new opening song, I am joined finally again by the mayor of Section 509, Patrick Bovard, who is back from Australia scouting cricket players. Pat, how have you been? Hi, Nick. You know, it's good to be back in the land of freedom uh, after my time down under. You know, the scouting trip went well. I've sent uh, about 30 emails to Rick Hahn about cricket prospects. No responses yet, but uh, we'll keep you posted on that. You know, let's hope it didn't go into his spam because I heard Rick Hahn is not a big uh, checker of spam emails. No, it, definitely not. I mean, you know, Twitter too. I know he doesn't check that. So we'll uh, we'll just keep, ho- I'll keep persisting. I heard that uh, actually he got a uh, really good suggestion for giving Machado a $310 million offer but it went right into his spam, so he didn't he didn't see it. Yeah, that's a shame. You know, I mean, he's too busy worrying that uh, Twitter is what cost them getting Jock Peterson. But you know, I mean, we don't we don't really have room in the outfield for him. That no, definitely not. Now. I mean, you don't need that kind of uh, action, especially in like home run derby guys. You want no you want no part of that. No, I mean, we might as well see what we got with Ryan Cordell and. Uh, Charlie Tilson for the third season first. And that then maybe we'll be sure after this year. Excellent. Okay. So it's been a tale of two cities this week or tale of the same city, I should say. Um, Cubs and Sox having very different uh, weeks. So let's start on a high. We, uh, we haven't talked in a while, Pat. So let's go with the white. We're, we're talking white Sox for the, for the good week this week. So what do you got, Pat? How do the white Sox do this week? Yeah, this is a, you know, it was a pretty great week after, you know, last week kind of started promising. They split with the Astros and then just got absolutely derailed by the Twins. So this week I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but it went, you know, about as good as I would have expected. Started off with a week with a clean sweep of the Royals. Uh, Monday's game on Memorial Day was split into two days due to the rain. You had That was the Yolmer Sanchez game. Uh, had a hit, or I guess a fielder's choice RBI to extend the game uh, through the rain break. Uh, did a little slip and slide on the dirt, uh, dump the Gatorade on himself in the rain, and then ended up hitting a walk-off on Tuesday to finish the game. So that was entertaining. Uh, Tuesday against the Royals, got another one-run win, this time 4-3. Giolito gave up three in the first inning and then rebounded, uh, to shut him out the rest of the way through seven innings, hit 10 strikeouts to only one walk. Um, so he's looked great. I'll be talking a lot more about him a little bit later on. Uh, a couple RBIs in that game from McCann and uh, Abreu. Wednesday, another one-run win against the Royals. Theme going there. This one with a little bit more excitement. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez did not look great. Tim Anderson, in his first at-bat against the Royals in this game, uh, got hit in the head by a pitch. And as somebody coming back from injury, on one hand, that was not good to see. On the other hand, uh, him getting hit on a high and inside pitch, whether it was 86 mile an hour, whatever the Royals play-by-play guy wants to say, Definitely not a good look after that whole uh, bonanza last month with the uh, bat flip and the retaliation. So definitely don't like to see that. Sparkman got ejected immediately after. Um, but, you know, he ended up getting the revenge, had a game-winning double in the eighth inning to put him ahead. So was able to complete the sweep there. Uh, against the Indians then, uh, the team we were, were chasing for second place, Thursday was a big win, 10-4. A uh, lot of hits, 
uh, Abreu with a home run, Alonzo maybe coming alive finally, which would be great to see. Saying I was hitting like right around the Adam Dunn line. Friday, another win, 6-1. Covey actually looked pretty good. Six innings, five strikeouts. A uh, bunch of RBIs going around there. Abreu had his 50th, which actually leads the American League now. So uh, he's having a great year. Probably going to be an all-star due to the, uh, I guess, dearth of a uh, first baseman in the AL. Uh, Saturday was a loss, the only loss of the week. 5-2, don't really want to talk about it anymore. Enough, there's, we have enough wins to talk about. And then today, which a game both of us attended, uh, we saw a winner, TA7, with a home run uh, with a great bat drop and walk. Uh, another RBI double later in the game. And Giolito, again, seven in it, seven point, seven and a third, I'm sorry, uh, nine strikeouts, no walks, absolutely dealing, shut out the Indians. And that put the Sox at 29 and 30 on the year, which ties them for second with the Indians. So I don't know how long it's going to last with the minus 43 run differential, minus yeah, 43 run differential, which I guess for uh, uh, comparison's sake, Arizona is at like a, they're at a minus, well, wait. Never mind. I thought I wrote this down. But anyways, they have a much better run differential at the same record. So we'll see how well this goes. Uh, but, you know, right for right now, I'm right in the high. They went six and one on the week, only a game under 500 at the start of June. So this is much more entertaining than past years. June baseball and the Sox are entertaining. My big question of all this, you mentioned Jose Abreu, uh, mm-hmm. likely an all-star player. Does this create a rivalry with Justin Smoke? <laughs> oh, God, that's the only two uh, AL first basemen that are worth anything these days. Um, I don't know. I think it's, and that's, it's a, like that's a, a generous thing to say, by the way, is that Justin smoke is worth a damn. Yeah. Right. Like it's, you wouldn't have thought that. I mean, I think up until what, like two years ago, his biggest moment in his career was getting traded for cliff Lee over to Seattle. So took him a while to get going, but I guess he finally figured it out. Maybe it's the, the air in Canada is a little bit better. I would just love to see like a Sosa McGuire type rivalry between Justin Smoke and Jose Abreu to get some All Star votes, like like them lobbying for votes. Just the most, yeah, like set it up like a presidential run. I guess that's what they're trying to do this year with the whole primary and then the starter election. So just get the th- those two guys on a podium and have them debate out why they should be the All Star. Which I don't know. I don't can't see either one of them. They're both pretty unassuming, so it probably wouldn't be the most entertaining thing. But I guess that's what makes it even more. Uh, uh, derpy, so to speak. Wait, I'm drawing a blank. What are you talking about with this? Uh, the format? Yeah, please explain. Yeah, so the first, uh, I forget how long it is, this period of time now when voting's open, they're doing a, it's a primary where basically everybody's voting. You can vote uh, five times per day and then you can vote through Google, which is pretty new. Um, so it's after, I think it's a couple weeks, can't totally remember. The top three vote getters at each position go on to like a final election for like, I think it's like a week period next month or later this month. And then out of those three, whoever gets the most votes. So it, the voting resets, whoever gets the most voting on those is the starter. So it's not just between everybody. It gets whittled down to a list of starters. All right. Two questions with that. One, yep. did Vince McMahon make this format? And two, <laughs> how do the super delegates come into play? Well, I guess, you know, we'll see uh, if this were the NFL with uh, Roger Goodell would be a little bit more concerned about some uh, funny business getting played with super delegates. But I I didn't even realize this was going on until I read more about the voting process, which I think, you know, it's good. The, uh, the voting, I, you know, what was it three years ago when we had like seven Royals starting the All-Star game? So this should hopefully stop some of that from happening, because if there's no Royals in the uh starter election then no royals get in so let's see what happens but i don't know 
I think this should at least help some of those random all-stars get out. But, you know, as long as Avi Garcia gets in as a DH this year, I'm pretty happy. I don't see seven Royals getting into the all-star game this year. All right, we're going to move on to uh, Cubs recap. A little bit more somber. I'm going to full disclosure. I watched about one game this week because they are away and I am off. So this is coming from watching highlights and also watching extra innings because there was a, a little bit of that as well. Okay, um, Monday, 6-5 loss to they, – they had the Astros. 6-5 uh, loss, uh, close game, but my biggest problem with playing the Astros is they play in, the, uh, in a Little League park. So that's why we're going to see these like high-scoring inflated numbers. Um, I know the Cubs – had like a home run hitting bonanza in Houston and still lost two of three. So um, also the second time we've used the word bonanza in the first 15 minutes of this podcast, which is wonderful. Um, so place. Monday, great stuff. So uh, Monday, six, five loss Tuesday and nine, six loss. And this was the game where I think the Cubs hit about five home runs and lost, which I think is ridiculous. But when they were all solo shots, that's going to happen. Uh, Wednesday, probably the, the only upside of the week was a 2-1 win um, in Houston to close out to not get swept. Uh, big story of that we'll talk about just a little bit later of uh, Alberto Mora hitting a line drive in foul territory. So uh, we'll get in that in just a little bit. Um, then uh, they head to a very boring town known as St. Louis um, only to get swept. 2-1 uh, loss. On Friday, there was a day off in between in extra innings. And uh, it stinks because you Darvish had probably his best start this year, I want to say. There's probably another start in there that competes with this. But to go uh, the distance, six innings, three hits, one earned run, six Ks, and still get the loss, it's pretty tough. Um, yesterday, or not sorry, yesterday, Saturday's game, 7-4 loss. It was a lot closer than the score would indicate. First five innings went pretty quickly. Then there was a three-hour-plus rain delay in which I went to go see a movie, watch the entire movie, and only missed in one inning. So 7-4 um, loss. It was a 5-4 going into the bottom of the eighth. Then um, Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader went back-to-back to, back to make it 7-4. Cubs couldn't do anything in the top of the ninth. Take the L. Today, um, as you mentioned, I was very busy enjoying the hell out of Guaranteed Rate Field to watch the Cubs game. I was busy watching a another Lucas Giolito domination to watch the Cubs drop 2-1. to one. Cole Hamels apparently had a very good game. But again, if you give up two runs in a game, you'd think you'd win the game. Second time the same week, they've lost a game 2-1. to one. So 1-5... One on the week, easily the worst stretch of Cubs baseball since we've started this podcast besides the opening week, I want to say. Um, yeah, I was probably pretty close to this. Yeah. I can't remember the record exactly. Yeah, and I, it's one of those things where I'm just, I'm not concerned. I don't care because there's still, what, at most a, a game behind the Brewers, game and a half, whatever it is, or even a half game. It just kind of depends on the, how the Brewers did today. I wish I would have checked on that. But just a testament to streaks in in the season i mean the the white Sox are six and one on the week i mean you're gonna have you're gonna have six and one weeks and you're gonna have one in five weeks it's just it's a long season so for anybody who's freaking out after this week you just played the astros who are arguably a top three team in baseball and then you played your rival away who you swept earlier in the year so uh you're gonna get swept i remember like in 2016 the cubs got swept by 
a couple pretty lousy teams and they still, you know, won the world series. So not worried, tough week for Cubs fans, but it was a really good week to take off from watching Cubs baseball. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, definitely timed that up. Well, and like, like you said, you know, as a Hawk once said, you're going to win 50 games. You're going to lose 50 games. It's what you do with the other 62 that counts. So I think that's definitely true here. There's just some games you're not in. One important takeaway, very important. I wanted to make sure I got this about the Cubs this week is that based off how they did in Houston. I think it's safe to say that because the Sox split with the Astros, that clearly, you know, like transitive property, they must be the better team this year. So if the White Sox were in the NL Central, they'd just be feasting right now. It'd be, I, you know, I, th- I think, you know, the this is clearly showing that the AL Central is the toughest division in baseball. I will counter and say I, 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 I pray to the non-existent God that I don't pray to that the Cubs and the White Sox get switched. Let's just put it that way. Oh, it'd be ugly. The Sox are, like I said, they got a minus 43 run differential. I'm riding the high. Maybe, you know, we'll get some guys hitting to help boost that. But it's, yeah, it, if they were not in the AL Central with, you know, what, 60 games against Cleveland, Detroit, and Kansas City, they'd probably have a different record. But it wins a win. Hey, so, you know what? At the, at the end of the day, Cubs and White Sox are both second place baseball teams. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Moving yeah, on. I'm sorry, I cut you off, but we're going to move on right now. We're going to do big stories, and uh, I'm going to start with Cubs big stories because I feel like Sox big stories are just a little bit more exciting after a a one-in-five week for the Cubs. And it is the Cubs showing uh, a bit of interest in closer, arguably, supposedly, I don't know, people are saying Hall of Fame closer, Craig Kimbrell. And... This brings up the question of why they haven't signed him already. The bullpen has already shown that there's a little bit of struggle. The back end of the bullpen, especially Brandon Morrow, being on the 60-day IL, probably not going to see the light of day this year. Kimbrell, a guy who is a World Series champion, who has been consistently good, if not dominant, his entire career, just sits at home on the couch, I mean, as, as they say not uh, not playing baseball. And the only reason that is, apparently, is because if you do sign a guy of that caliber, you lose a second-round draft pick. So my question to you, Pat, is do you think – would you rather have the White Sox have a extra second-round draft pick or Craig Kimbrell right now? Well, you know me. I love draft picks. But uh, in, all ser- in all seriousness, uh, it – well, I guess I'd rather go on the Dallas Keuchel side because right now we got a uh, Colome who's been absolutely lights out. So I'd take him at the closer. But let's say the Sox don't have a closer. I don't understand why you wouldn't. I mean, it's a second round pick. Like, sure, it's high, but a lot of those guys never pan out. And I guess from the Cubs point of view, what, three years ago, they were willing to give up Glabar Torres for three months of Aroldis Chapman. And yet they won't give up a second round pick that, you know, based off their draft history lately, hasn't been at least on pitchers, hasn't been great for possibly four years of a hall of, likely Hall of Fame closer. Like, that doesn't make sense. Like, that, those two things are not – those two things don't match. Like, I don't – the whole second-round pick, like, it's – one, it's dumb and they should change it because there's no reason two pitchers of that caliber should still be sitting at home in June unless it, they truly are asking for some just absolutely ridiculous demand. But, like – at this point, we're getting to the point in the year where teams need to start making moves to get in a playoff position, and the fact that a second-round pick is deterring them is just pretty ridiculous. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's insane too, especially in a year where it's the first year of a hard trade deadline. Like there's not going to be like those late August waiver pickups. So we're not going to be seeing like those Justin Verlander type deals anymore. It's just not going to happen. So why not lose your second round pick? Do you do you honestly think that anybody you draft, even in the first round this year, is going to have a better immediate impact than Craig Kimbrell? I think it's 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 insane. Or Dallas Keuchel, like one of the two. Yeah, like it. Shame on the Cubs for not going after Kimbrell. Shame on the Sox for not going after Keuchel. I mean, honestly, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, like that's. I mean, that's the thing with the White Sox. Like, you look at Keuchel. Like, is he a perfect fit for this rotation? Are there signs that he maybe you know he's not going to be a Cy Young guy again? But that's fine. Like. They have two right now. What's the rotation? It's Giolito, who's probably going to be an all star at this point. So great. Ronaldo Lopez, who's been frustratingly inconsistent. And then you got right now Manny Banuelo, still in Kobe and I, Ivan Nova. Like, that's you swap. I mean, let's just say we're not, I'm not going to say Ronan and Kopech if they're healthy, but if you swap one of those guys out with a Dallas Keuchel and maybe another like functional starter that you got instead of Irvin Santana. We could be looking at a very different story right now in a very winnable division. I mean, I still got to imagine the twins are going to cool off somewhat, but it makes, you know, it's just, it's a shame that now decisions are being made to this minutia of like, you know, penalty of a second round pick rather than just going out and making your baseball team the best it is like the best possible team. I think that's been the biggest shame of the, uh, you know, whole analytics rebuild era is that now people are, you know, we're starting to justify like, oh, well, we don't want to give up that second round pick. We're picking like 45th overall. Which I mean, like, how often does that guy pan out? It's just it's it's dumb. Like, it, the point of sports is to put the best team on the field, and the fact that you know, especially as a White Sox fan, that hasn't been the case. You know, especially now that they're so close, it would just really be way more exciting if they would have you know put in the effort to go get this guy. Because if they would have given him four years and what seventy five million a couple months ago, I don't think he would have said no. Well, maybe he would have. I don't know, but you get the point. Yeah, we'd have to talk to his agent, but I I agree with you. I think I think. Keuchel is not, is not the perfect fit for the White Sox right now, but there's no team he would be a better fit for than the White Sox, I would say. Um, yeah, like who who are you going to go – you can't go out in the offseason and get anybody better. I guess unless you are banking on Garrett Cole, but I'm not banking on the Sox going and getting a, you know, a top-line free agent after what happened this last offseason. Well, especially because we've established on this podcast that all the Astros pitchers are flat-out cheaters, so you don't want to – you don't even want Garrett Cole. Um but I will say, I guess that that throws out Dallas Keuchel too. Then I should say, but um, <laughs> who knows? Um, with Keuchel, though, I mean, you sign him to a four-year deal. He is probably in like the um, the twilight of his career. I wouldn't say twilight. Probably in the uh, diminishing downgrade. I would say, yeah. When the team is supposed to win, which is yeah. exactly what you want. Exactly. Like that's what I mean. I guess maybe it's he doesn't have quite the same track record over the course of his entire career. But like, you know, when the Cubs signed John Lester, he wasn't, he wasn't what he was in his like peak anymore. But you know, it's that guy where it's like, he's still got a few top level years left to help get bridge your team to when they're ready to win. And that's what this team is missing right now. Like, yeah, even if Rodon and Kopech were healthy, that still leaves at one spot in the rotation that we could really use like a strong veteran. That's, you know, been in the world series, been in the playoffs, knows how to win as sappy as that sounds. Uh, you know, somebody with the will to win or TWTW, you know, it would just be, it would be good to have, especially because like, you know, we've had a few games this year where we've just gotten flat out embarrassed because our pitching's absolutely blown up. So if you take out, well, it's a one fifth of 160, I'm, is that 32 games? So if he were to start 30 games, 
and you turn those into games. We now these are not we're not going to win all of them, but if you take some of those games into games we can win, that could very well be the difference between winning the seventy-five and eighty-five games, which in the AL Central could mean a playoff spot. So I don't know. Just you know, it's frustrating to see, especially given how to this point the Sox have played above expectations in terms of the record. Yeah, not to harp too much on it, but like the AL wild card scene is is, is looking like a uh, not super competitive it's pretty top heavy al so why wouldn't the Sox be buyers but i'm going to go over to the cubs and say that um zobris money zobris is on the restricted list he's got some things he's got to be dealing with um they signed carlos gonzalez as a replacement for him but apparently they're using that money as an excuse to um get some other players but at the same time it's like they had the money anyway it doesn't matter if uh Zobris has marital issues or not. They had the money and mm-hmm. the fact that they were willing to spend it anyway at the trade deadline, like they always just preach about having getting the best player available and doing this and, and whatever makes the team better. You're this much closer to being a world series team. But then when push comes to shove, there's this guy who's so darn good just sitting on the couch. I don't know. Um, we'll leave it at that. What's going on with the white Sox when it goes to uh, big story, Pat, so I think the biggest, you know, there were a couple things this week. I guess I'll break it in half a little bit this segment. Uh, one, you had the TA7 hit by pitch against the Royals, which I thought was going to blow up into a much bigger thing than it was. Uh, you know, when I saw the video that they're lucky it wasn't live because I was ready to, uh, you know, go uh, pull a hawk and wait outside the clubhouse. But uh, it kind of got blown back after the game. You know, the benches cleared. Uh, he got thrown out. Or no, the benches didn't clear in this one. I'm sorry. Uh, but. Uh, you know, Tim said after the game, he didn't think it was intentional. It was an 86 mile an hour pitch. I just, you know, I don't know. I think it's a little convenient that he got hit in the head, but whatever that didn't turn in the story. I wanted, uh, thought it was going to bigger story this week is the five game win streak that has them in second place. Like they're obviously nowhere near the twins right now. They're still, I think it's like 13 games back twins, unless they fall off a cliff, maybe like a little bit like the Oh five white stocks down the stretch, but you know, worse because in this scenario, they don't win. Uh, the Sox might have some life there. They got life in the wild card right now. Um, and that's, you know, it's been fueled by a couple of things this week. A lot of, you know, a lot of offense in most of the games and Lucas Giolito really turning a corner. So in fact, they were able to string together five wins, which is their first, I think five game win streak. And like, I think it was like over two years. Like that's crazy that, you know, we're finally at a point where we can string together a couple wins in a row. It's, it's great to see. It's a good trend for the season. And even if they can't keep it up, um, and, you know, the whole Pythagorean win-loss suggests they might not be able to. It's at least, you know, we're competing into June. And I think this year, we realistically, is this roster as currently constructed a playoff team? Probably not, but they can stay competitive into, you know, July, maybe into August. I think that's a, you know, that's a plus for this year. That gives guys like two-thirds of a season where they're actually competing instead of realizing from like mid-May on they're 20 games under 500, which I think is huge. Yeah, I've got two takes on that. But the first, your big stories, uh, those, or if it was on accident, that is still a piece of garbage. I'm just going to leave that out right there. Um, after that, can't help but be proud of the White Sox for playing through the fact that their roster is just not up to snuff in this league. The fact that the AL Central is super weak has a little bit to do with it, don't get me wrong, but the fact that we're talking about the White Sox being possible wildcard contenders in June is, uh, it's nice for the city, it's nice for Sox fans, and the fact that all these injuries have occurred and they're still looking this good is 
borderline impressive. I guess all the injuries seem to be on the the pitching side, so I guess you're only losing it on one end. And I think the uh, the players themselves don't even think of it as uh, losing that much because they're just there to play their game, and they're most of these guys are just trying to stay in the MLB. Mm-hmm. So you gotta like you, you gotta like what you're seeing. Yeah, I think, you know, it's been a good spark. I think now, like, you know, the next things we really need to see is if Eloy can start hitting, that'd be huge because right now he's still hitting in the 220. So hasn't been great. Obviously, defensively, we all we all know he's kind of an adventure out there and left. So if he can start hitting, you know, we're going to see. I got to imagine we're seeing Cease up here sometime in the next month. I think the Super 2 cutoff is either. I think it's either this week or last week or something. So he'll be up soon. I, you know, like most Sox fans, I want to see Luis Robert up as soon as possible he's absolutely destroying the ball in the minors i think today he had like another 450 foot absolute bomb you know if he can get up maybe zach collins whatever he turns into i think you know if they're still competitive it's it's going to be exciting down the stretch and even if they don't end up being a playoff team that's better than the last three seasons have been um you know where they've just been out of it early and it, it seems like seems like last year more so they started to lose fight a little bit earlier in the year but if they can keep pulling off close wins you know, stay somewhat relevant. That's that's better than I think most people would have expected for this year, and really sets us up as if not like real contenders in twenty twenty. Let's start at least right on the doorstep, where we're not, you know, realistically speaking, that far away. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I've said for about a year and a half now that of all White Sox prospects, I think Lou Bob, Luis Robert, is probably the most promising. He's Billy Hamilton, but he can hit. So um, that's very exciting, and I would, I'm very excited to see him come up. We're going to move to a very quick, short uh, MLB story, and it actually does revolve around the Cubs. Uh, Albert Amora on Wednesday, uh, middle of the net bat, absolutely scorches a ball, um, pulls it, hits a four-year-old girl in, I want to say the nose, could not be sure. Apparently, by all accounts, girl goes limp dad carries her out of the stadium goes to the er and there was just a hush over minute Maid park if they still call it minute Maid park i'm not sure anyway no, they do they do okay yep. and because of this freak accident elmora was visibly shaking went down was crying freaking out rightfully so the debate that was brought up was should the nets be extended all the way down the lines. And I have a very strong opinion on this, but I would love to see your thoughts on that, Pat. What do you think about extending the nets all the way down, all the way down left and right? So I agree that I think, you know, the net should be extended. I don't think it's necessary for them to be at full, you know, height behind home plate as it goes down the line. I think it's something you could taper off. But I just think at this point, like, because, like, you know, you don't want to take the foul ball catches out of play. But at a certain point, like, how many, like, you just watch these people get hurt and say, I'm like, oh, if all you have to do is pay attention. But, like, if I'm paying perfect attention to a game and get a 110 mile an hour missile shot at me with no glove, I'm probably not going to be able to catch that thing either. Like, the balls, I mean, players are hitting the ball harder. They're doing more, da- more and more damage. I think at a certain point, you just got to realize, like, you don't want people getting you know, it hurt at a baseball game or have to think like, Hey, maybe I'm going to get drilled with one today. So I don't think the nets need to be at full height down the line. Cause oftentimes those ones in the corner aren't going quite as high, but I think, you know, to at least some extent, these things need to get moved down, like, you know, extended. I just think at a certain point, 
enough is enough. And, you know, if safety is more important than, you know, people not liking their view or a couple foul balls not getting caught a year. Yeah, so I agree with you, I think. But I'm, I'm good with full nets all the way around because, first of all, none of us are professional athletes. If you're going to watch a game, you're going to watch professionals. You don't have the skills to, to make the play on that ball. The counter arguments I've heard is if you're paying attention, you should be able to catch it. Not the case. It's, it's not going to happen. Nope. These, these balls are going way faster. Like We're not professional athletes. You're going to get hit. Someone's going to get hit. The only counter argument that all these people are saying is, oh, I want a foul ball. You're not going to get a foul ball. Like there's, you know, in a packed game, there's 40,000 people. You go through in a baseball game, 12 to 14 dozen baseballs a game. The chances of you getting one are minute, slim, none, and slims out the door. Well, you can still get them if it's a pop-up. Right. And do you even want, like, do you even want that ball if it's scorched that way? Like, I'm getting out of the way. Like, dude, yeah, if Stanton hits like a friggin' screamer at me. If you try to catch that, that's going to, that's going to like break a hand at least, unless you brought your glove, which I know as you and Sam discussed, if you're over the age of 15, you shouldn't be doing anyways. So, yeah, no, no, definitely. And I was, I was just going to get to that. It's like, we, we're going to judge you for bringing a mitt. So you, d- you shouldn't be, one, you shouldn't be bringing a mitt. And two, like, you got to know, like, when a ball is going to destroy your hand. Like, I don't know. And from a workman's perspective, I get asked probably 200 times a game for a baseball. And it would be just super nice to be like, sorry, there's a net in the way. I can't give you one. As opposed to having to like tell all these people that I, I can't. And not, not only that, the, the nets don't obstruct views no. at all. No, I said, I've sat behind home plate at games. I've sat behind the net plenty of games. You, it's not, it's like, it's, I mean, it's not fishing wire thin, but you know, it's not, yeah, it's not like a freaking like, you know, some like net that kids use to catch like butterflies or whatever. The thing is like, it's see-through like you're, you don't notice it. No, it's just not there. So, I mean, Japan does it. Japan has the nets all the way around. I, they don't have problems. I mean, on the back of your ticket, it tells you to be, you know, vigilant, but just because the ticket tells you to be vigilant doesn't mean you're capable of doing so. And let's just put it this way. Let's let's do a balancing test. Would we rather have a foul ball for a 40-year-old man or a 4-year-old in the hospital? I think that's a pretty easy answer to that question. Yeah, not not the most tough choice there. On You know, I think uh, having people not getting hurt or killed is probably the smarter choice there. I, you know, if, I'm, if, if I had to make a decision. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there with that tough one. But anyway, hey, you know, that's, uh, that's what I know. That's what you're here for to ask the tough questions. Definitely. And we got some tough questions coming up. But anyway, uh, we're going to move to my favorite segment of the week, and it is the LinkedIn player profile. Those who are not familiar, we look up some of our favorite former Cubs and White Sox players on LinkedIn, see what they're up to right now. So, Pat, we're going to start with you this week because you've been in hiatus for a while. I don't know if you have an Australian player to throw our way. That'd be swell. But if not, who do you got this week for your LinkedIn player? Fortunately, not as strong as the Sox have been in, uh, you know, Cuba and uh, I guess Brazil. Uh, not quite there um, with Australian players, but I got a good one this time. So, you know, normally we use like LinkedIn. We use uh, Wikipedia. I got a third source for this one. It's uh, the popular website IMDB. 
because this player is now, or at least at a certain point was an actor. And I am going with Lance Broadway, who was a right-handed pitcher who was selected in the first round by the Sox in 2005. So, you know, there's at least that connection. So, you know, he kind of worked his way through the minor leagues for a year. Uh, got up. He's the number three ranked prospect in 07. Uh, never really, never really made it to the majors. I think he might have pitched a couple games for the White Sox. Um, he they traded him to the Mets. Uh, in what was it like 09 for like Ramon Castro? So nothing big there. He never really played much with the Mets. Kind of bounced around for a few years. 09 uh, was released at the in the offseason. Signed by the Blue Jays to a minor league deal, but never really played there. Uh, and then moved his way into the theater industry. Uh, a couple of his film credits out there. He was in his probably most famous movie, Olympus Has Fallen. He was, uh, I think, Agent O'Neill in that. I can't remember the character, but he was in it. Some of his other credits, he was a bodyguard in the pilot of the TV series Lucifer. He was uh, some sort of team leader in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. He was a UPS guy in The Real Husbands of Hollywood. So, uh not really sure how that worked out for him, but, uh, you know, a couple TV shows and that's about it. Um, uh, and then, you know, moving on to LinkedIn, he it says since September, 2017, he's been working as a real estate agent for Heiko realty advisors, um, in the Dallas Fort worth area. So I guess, you know, big career arc. They're going from playing baseball professionally, uh, getting drafted by the world series where I guess eventual world series winning team, uh, never, never really making in the majors going to act for a while, trying his lot in Hollywood and now as a realtor. So that's a pretty wide skill set there. That is exactly what we're looking for with this segment. And I, I will say if your name is Broadway and you're not, uh, giving acting a go when all else fails, I don't even want to know you. I think. Yeah. Maybe you should have tried theater. I don't know. Maybe that's his next career move. Yeah. I mean, the natural transition from real estate to theater is, I mean, it's the same thing, right? Yeah, you know, maybe it's uh, he's working on his improv. I don't know. You know, selling houses, it gets you that skill. Definitely. Okay. So I figured because we were both back, finally, I will be unveiling the LinkedIn player profile of my all-time favorite cub. And that is the Bayou Boy himself, as Ron Sano called him, Little Babe Ruth, Mike Fontenot. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Mike Fontenot, my all-time favorite cup. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna go through his uh, life. He's called Bayou Boy from a reason. He is a Louisiana guy. Him and Sam's LinkedIn player profile of the last week, Ryan Terrio, were the Bayou double playboys when uh, Terrio was at short and Fontenot was at second. So you had that double LSU double play combination. So obviously, by stating that, he went to Louisiana State University, but his MLB statistics pretty solid overall. Uh, 265 batting average, 27 home runs, 163 RBIs, played for the Cubs, Giants, and the Philadelphia Phillies. He was also a World Series champion with those Giants in 2010. So where did he start? He was the Baltimore Orioles' first round 19th overall pick in 2001 and never ended up playing for them. Then he ended up joining your Chicago Cubs as he was traded with Jerry Harrison Jr. and Dave Carruthers for slugger Sammy Sosa from the so very important uh, trade piece. Um, Mike Fontenot wore the number 17. He is my number 17. A lot of people say Mark Grace. A lot of people say Chris Bryant. I say Mike Fontenot. 
and uh, pretty decent overall at second base. Wasn't the everyday guy. Um, ended up earning the spot for a little bit, batted 296 uh, in 111 games in 2006, which was uh, probably one of his better seasons. Um, the guy he came up for at uh, AAA was when the Cubs sent down one of the greatest baseball names of all time, Rocky Cherry was sent down. So that's why Fontenot came up was because Rocky Cherry got sent down, weren't, which is were him and Felix PA uh, spelt pie both up around the same time. So it was like the whole cherry pie. There was cherry pie. And there was also um, when the Cubs went full French, when they had Fontenot, Terrio, Juan Pierre, Jock Jones and Marquise Grissom. Like the, it was, it was a, it was a French revolution for the Cubs. It was fantastic. Um, he kind of struggled a little bit with the Cubs, ended up getting uh, sent down, traded around, ended up signing with the Giants, got a World Series ring there. Good for him. I'm proud of him. Uh, ended up fizzling out a little bit with the Giants, ended up with the Phillies, his career. And then he started jumping around a little bit at Rays, Nationals, back to the Rays, decided to have a retirement. But he does have also a IMDB profile because he had a – cameo in the tbs comedy my boys in the third season finale episode called spring training my boys if you're not familiar is the poor man's new girl so mike fontenot getting his acting chops as well just in case so that's so i'm guessing they went to i never watched so but i'm guessing they went to like spring training and that's like the player the show had the budget for them be like oh we're meeting we're meeting a baseball player it's like they had to go like a little bit down the list to find him but yeah, like bigger budget shows like How I Met Your Mother had Nick Swisher. So like put that as your, your sliding <laughs> scale there. Um, but all, all in all, Mike Fontenot, I had his jersey, my all-time favorite Cub. Ron Sano, every time he'd come up, was, was sure he was going to hit a grand slam when nobody was on. Called him Little Babe Ruth. And he was probably about five foot seven, 165 pounds, second baseman. Just everything a five foot six, 120-pound 12-year-old would have wanted in a player. But anyway, that is my LinkedIn player profile for my all-time favorite Cub, Mike Fontenot. And we wish him well. There's, uh, if you Google him, they have those really corny shirts that they just kind of fill in the name of what you Google for. And I, I might actually buy one that says, like, when the boogeyman goes to bed, he checks under his closet for Mike Fontenot. I feel like that would be, like, the corniest thing I could ever own. I do gotta say, if Mike Fontenot was in is like in my closet or under my bed, I'd probably be pretty terrified too. So I'm with the boogeyman on that one. <laughs> you know, we're pro boogeyman on this uh, on this show. Anyway, that is our show. Actually, no, it's not our show. Did we? Uh, we didn't do player of the week. Pat, who's no, the I don't White think Sox we did. player of the week? Okay, yeah, this one's easy. Uh, this is one. This one's easy. Uh, Should have seen it coming from a mile away. It's Lucas Giolito. Two games, two wins. He's won seven decisions in a row. Uh, his ERA is down to like 2.5, I think. On Fangraph's war now, he's like second in the American League for starting pitchers. Uh, you know, he this week, what, he had 20 strikeouts, one walk, which is for a guy that walked more people than almost anybody in baseball last year and was statistically one of the worst pitchers. An incredible turnaround. Uh, 15 innings pitched, only gave three runs, and all of those were in one inning that he was able to rebound from, which I think sums up his season I, pretty well that you know against the royals he was roughed up in the first inning gave up three runs and instead of you know falling off the trains walking guys left and right you know he battled through it kind of stuck with the pitches he was used to not going to that sinker like he did last year 
And, you know, he's been able to really turn it around. So that's probably been a couple bright spots for the Sox this year. Easily the brightest is Ben Lucas Giolito season. And I mean, I haven't looked around the stats a ton at the same details. I do the Sox, but I got to imagine he'd be in the running for starting the all-star game. If it were today. Definitely. He might get, uh, if Verlander doesn't get that, like uh popularity contest, not out, but I mean, my picks Giolito the way he's pitching. Um, I'm going to, go with a little bit of a wild card today for the Cubs player of the week. And it would have been easy to give it to Hendricks. He got the only win or like he pitched in the only win this, this week. I'm giving it to you Darvish as uh, that was left at about three weeks ago, six innings pitched, as we said, three hits, uh, one earned run, six Ks and got the L. And that is a very tough L to take when you, when you really finally show your stuff against your rival, against the Cardinals and still get the L. Um, I'll take that. I'll take that start every day of the week and twice on Sunday. I mean, if that would entail that you Darvish gets two starts in a week, which I'm okay with. So I'm going to give the player of the week to you Darvish. Um, hopefully I say that name a lot throughout the rest of the season, because for the money he's making, I would hope he's player of the week quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, he probably so, earned the league minimum last year. So he's got a lot of money to make up in these next couple of years. So. Any signs of life are good signs. Definitely. Okay, so after that fall sending, that is the end of our show. But I will end the show the same way we always end the show, with a question that Pat has not heard yet, and he will have to give me a candid answer. So, Pat, if you're ready. I'm ready. This one, this one kind of correlates to today a little bit. So, if you are attending a White Sox baseball game, and for me it would be a Cubs baseball game, would you rather see a one nothing victory or a 10-9 victory ooh that's you know that's a little bit tough i think i've seen kind of both this year where i got the not one nothing but two what was it two nothing today so low scoring and i got the uh the absolutely ridiculous like 12 to 11 game against the uh who's it tigers early in the year i think you know in the regular season give me the 10-9 win uh, that's, you know, it's more exciting. There's a lot more hits as long as, you know, maybe it's like one of the lower end rotation guys and not like Giolito or Lopez getting blown up. I'm okay with it. Playoffs. Just give me the one, nothing win. I don't care. Just, just win. I don't, I don't want to be hands in it, like uh, biting my nails the whole game, but you know, regular season, I'm just give me a slug fest. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you on that one. And I think we saw a prime example of today of why is that the beer vendors cut off at, what was oh yeah, it? that's right bottom of the seventh but today was such a fast game it was two nothing (laughs) can you imagine how many uh, how much money off beer they lost when mark burley was pitching in those like two hour games unbelievable i feel like yeah it should be a time limit like okay you can't serve beer after you know 4 30 on you know sunday home games or whatever whatever it is but it was like the what bottom of the seventh inning today and we went to grab a beer and the game had only been going for two hours and the beer vendors were not allowed to serve us. Yeah. I thought that was insane. I agree with you 100%. It's like, give me the win, regardless of how you can get it in the playoffs. But if I'm, a, if I'm a casual fan, which is something I'm only capable of doing at Sox games, give me a 10 to 9 game for sure. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's more exciting. You get a little bit more fireworks going. It keeps you engaged. It's not like I feel like sometimes those low scoring games are kind of hanging out and then. You know, next thing you know, you look at the scoreboard and it's the top of the seventh inning. Like, what? Where did that go? So, I don't know. Regular season, yeah. 
absolute bombs away. Yeah, the only time you don't get more fireworks uh, in a tenant game is if it's dog day at Guaranteed Rake Field. Well, that's a hell of a day. Hell of a day indeed. Okay, so that is episode 11, Shoeless Code Podcast. Uh, I'm your host again, Nick. I was joined again by Pat. Thank God he is back. Not that Sam wasn't any good because he was fantastic, but it's good to have Pat back. Uh, you can listen to this episode and all the other episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and lmbsports.com. Pat, it's great to have you back. It's been a pleasure. It was great watching a Sox game in your home territory, not necessarily in Section 509, but Section 101 today. Uh, That's been a couple on. innings in 509, Dona. You know, don't let my uh, constituents here otherwise. And by the way, can you mention the very strange oddity that happened in Section 509 Yeah, so I today? get up there today. You know, it's my first full day back in America after two weeks out of the country. And there are people. So first of all, it wasn't a sold-out game. A lot of this food in the upper deck was closed. There are people sitting in my seats. Section 509, row four, seats one and two. Like, that is where people chose to sit. Which to me is just like, where were their tickets at? If that's where they decide to sit. Like, they didn't go to the lower level. They didn't go behind home plate in the upper deck. They went to 509, row four. So, you know, I got a good seat in the front row. But, you know, it just it kind of boggles the mind a little bit. I feel like it was a coup d'etat on section 509. So, they, so, they didn't see you there the last two weeks. They figured it was, it was open season. Yeah. I gotta, I, you know, I gotta, I gotta get the, show my face a little bit more. Otherwise, you know, people might get restless. Definitely. Okay. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back this week. Next time, everybody take care. Go Cubs, go White Sox, go baseball.